and today we want to talk about some, some words that we need to reclaim. Words that once had meaning that, that maybe don't have the meaning that we want them to have. Uh, we were talking in Sunday school this morning and, and the word tolerance came up. Uh, tolerance years ago was a great word. It meant that you loved somebody even when you disagreed with some of their choices, but you, you hung in there with them, but you didn't agree. Today, when we say you tolerate somebody, it means that not only do you love them, but, but you have to accept everything they do and say. It, it's lost much of its meaning. I, I think of another word that we use today. Some of you young people understand this better than me. Is the word sick. Okay, sick used to mean what? You were sick. And now what does sick mean? Uh, uh, that's wonderful, man. That's good, all right? Uh, let me give you another term that's lost its meaning. This is a crazy one. Boy scouts. That used to actually mean boy scouts, all right? But it doesn't have to mean that today. In, in fact, Tim McGraw uh, lamented this in a song called Back When. Back when a hoe was a hoe and a coke was a coke. And cracks what you were doing when you were cracking jokes. Back when a screw was a screw, the wind was all that blew. And when you said you were down with that, well, it meant you had the flu. Well, we miss those words and and the meaning. And, And that's what this series has been all about, is reclaiming words. Let's reclaim happiness. Let's reclaim happy is actually being a, a good word. It's something that, that we desire and that we desire and we want and God wants for us. And, and today I want to reclaim another word. Let's reclaim the word party. Now, when we say in our culture today, let's party, we think of all the worst things that come with that. And, and yet I want to show you today that God had a great tradition of great parties. If you'll read through the Bible uh, partying was a part of God's people from the beginning. In, in fact, the word used in the Bible is the word festival. That's the most popular word for party. It was used 187 times in the Bible. God threw great parties. Don't you know in your life the parties you want to go to and the, the parties you don't want to go to? Because you know some people, if they throw a party, it's going to be a good party. Some people, it's going to be a bore. I mean, some of you, there were places this past week that you were really excited about going to Thanksgiving. Some of you, you thought, oh, I don't want to go there. Don't nudge your spouse about their family, okay? I mean, we know who throws parties. And I want to tell you this morning, guys, that God is the God who throws great parties. Now, even in the Old Testament, it can go both ways. You know, when Aaron created that, that golden calf they worshipped at the foot of Mount Sinai, that was called a festival. And so certainly, uh, even in old times, I mean, some parties were associated with immorality and debauchery and drunkenness. But on the other hand, most parties in the Bible were part, places of, of celebration of who God was and who we were and what God had given to us. In fact, let's, let's go through the Bible and let's look a little closer at this. Let's go to the Old Testament. And let me say this, guys. Sometimes we as church people, Christians, our idea of a party is a one-hour finger food fellowship. You know what I'm saying? In this day, man, when they threw a party, it lasted for days. It was a feast. And let's look at some of the, the more well-known of these. First of all, uh, the Passover. 
uh, Passover was where Jesus first started the communion. It was in the middle of this incredible feast and celebration. Well, what was the celebration of? It was a celebration of when God had passed over the firstborn of his people because they had the blood of the lamb over their doorposts. And it was the beginning of their deliverance from slavery, and God wanted them to never forget it. And so the best way to remember was to throw a party. In fact, they're commanded, Deuteronomy chapter 10, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. you got to rejoice. You can't come to this thing somber. It's a party. There's another um, Old Testament party, the, the Feast of Weeks. Uh, this was normally a feast where you celebrated the incredible harvest that God had given you. It also was associated with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So here was the tie. You've got the giving of the law. When God's people live in obedience, they are blessed with a great harvest. And so you met for days to celebrate that harvest. How about this one, the Day of Atonement? You know, this, was a, this, this day did start very solemn. Uh, it started with the high priests going through rituals and sacrifices to atone for the people's sins. But it didn't stop there. The sacrifices were then eaten at the table at a feast. They were celebrating redemption. And this feast was even tied back to the creation of Adam and Eve. What was the point? The point is God did an amazing thing when he created Adam and Eve, and now in your life when he redeems you, he recreates you. And then look at another, the, the Feast of Booths. Now, this is a, a really odd one, but it lasted seven days in Jerusalem. And um, what you did when you got there is you made all these huts out of little palm branches. And, and you actually lived in those huts. Now, what, what were they trying to do there? He was trying to get them to remember God's people wandering in the wilderness and being delivered into the promised land. And so they, they actually lived out the story, and they celebrated. And on top of that, this was the moment they looked forward to the Messiah coming. And then you got the Feast of Purim, which was two days, and this was a celebration of God's deliverance of his people from Persia. And, and this was a time of of music and food and wine and dancing and even costumes. And it also was the time of, of giving gifts. That was the tradition during this feast, is that you gave gifts, but you gave gifts to the poor. And it was an amazing time. And we could go on and on. God's people had a rhythm in the calendar year of great feasts and great parties. And one that might slip by us that we don't normally think is a party was actually the Sabbath day was called a festival. You see, the Pharisees messed it all up. When we think of the Sabbath day, now we think of all these rules and regulations and what you can't do and you can't do this and you can't work and you can't hold this much weight. Guys, that's not the way it was created. God's idea of the Sabbath is that I'm going to free you from work and all responsibilities on this one day a week so that on this day, you can honor me and throw a party. And it was on the Sabbath day that you ate your best food of the week. And, and you were unencumbered by work and responsibilities so that you could enjoy yourself and enjoy the presence of God 
all day long. Now mark this down. Historically, God's people partied more than any of their surrounding nations. Think about that. Doesn't that say something about the God that we serve? Amen? Hey, guys, come on. You guys are not looking like we're having a party today. Doesn't that say something about the God we serve? Amen? I mean, think about that. That's crazy. All the nations around, nobody partied the way God's people partied. Nobody. And so they they developed this rhythm in their life. We say, come on, buddy, you're talking about the Old Testament. We don't even believe in the Old Testament. So I'm sure between the Old and New Testament, God repented, became a Christian, and got anti-party. Nope, nope. It keeps on. just, Just look at this list for a second with me. Jesus is his first miracle, saves a party. He goes to this wedding feast and the wine's running out. And despite the fact we're going to debate it for the next 2,000 years, he turns the water into wine. And he saves his mother from the embarrassment of a party that's gone wrong. And, and then if you look through the Gospels, one of the great critiques of Jesus was he attended parties. There's even some parties that Jesus invited himself to. And then we get to Luke 15, possibly the best chapter in all the Bible. And, and God, the father of the prodigal son, throws amazing party. Because it didn't stop when we got to Jesus. It rather increased. And maybe you'll be a little uncomfortable with this, guys, but in its introduction, communion or the Lord's Supper was a celebration. It was instituted in that Passover feast when they're having this incredible meal and celebration, remembrance of everything God's done. And right in the midst of that, Jesus says, I want you to have a place to give thanks for the ultimate sacrifice that's about to happen. Listen, my friends, many of us were brought up to believe that the Lord's Supper is our simply somber, alone time when we just think about how gruesome the death of Jesus was. Now, I'm not trying to mess you up, guys, but that's not biblical. You you see, in the Old Testament, you had a sacrifice for your sins, okay? You had the sacrifice. And then after the sacrifice, you went to the table and you ate the sacrifice, and you rejoiced over what God was doing. The Lord's Supper is a parallel to that. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. When we come to the table, we're celebrating the benefits that we have because of Jesus. Amen? And so, guys, it's a celebration. And there's something that you, you may have noticed in a close reading of the New Testament, and certainly of history, is that the early Christians had an amazing sacrifice called a love feast. It was called the agape feast. And and, and Christians did this every Sunday. It was a fun, full meal and celebration. And from what historically I can read about it, it was a time of worship, it was a time of prayer, and it was a time of people sharing their testimonies. In fact, while we were celebrating last Sunday night our Thanksgiving meal and, and, and all those incredible testimonies we heard, I thought that was it. That's a love feast, an incredible spread of food, great celebration of what God had done. Now, this is something we've got to catch on to. In the first century, the love feast and communion were together. 
You, you see, in Acts chapter 2, when everybody sacrificed everything they had, the love feast was the place you came together and you celebrated that in God there was complete equality. So the, the love feast was to be the place where everybody brought this big pot luck and you shared your food. And no matter if you were poor or rich, you all ate the same way. And in the midst of this, the Lord's Supper, that's where it was served, just like in the Passover meal. Now, we know by the time we get to the book of Corinth, that had began to be abused. Here's what was going on. The rich people and poor people were bringing their food to church. But the rich people decided they had better food, so they got in the corner and ate by themselves. While the poor people ate their crackers and cheese in another corner, in this love feast, this communion that was supposed to say, we're together and there's no differences, became a marker of differences. Listen, men, Paul was not opposed to the love feast. He was opposed to the abuse of the love feast. In fact, if you read church history, it's about the second or third century where communion and the love feast were finally separated. And most churches would meet in the morning to take communion, and then they would have a love feast at night. But here, guys, here's the point. The point is the early church celebrated. God has a tradition of great parties. And here's the point you've got to get before we leave this series. This was the place where holiness and happiness met. You see, we look at holiness as I'm, I'm holy and uptight and somber and sad and negative. No. This is a place where when you're holy, you're happy. When you're fully following God and engaged with God, not perfect, but you love God. My friends, that leads to the greatest happiness on this side of heaven. In fact, the happiest person who ever walked this earth was also the holiest person. Jesus was completely holy, and yet the biggest criticism they can come up with Jesus is that you go to too many parties. And so, my friends, this is the place where those, these two things come together, the holiness and happiness of God's people. Because in every one, did you notice every one of those Old Testament feasts, they celebrated the character and the actions of God. He created Adam and Eve. He delivered them from Egypt. He gave them the law. He took them out of Persia. Every one of them had to do with an event and the character of God. And then they're commanded in view of that, you better party. So, I mean, look, look in the New Testament. Let me just share you some verses here. Luke chapter 15, in that story where God throws the party for the prodigal son who sinned so terribly, he comes home, and the son knows he doesn't deserve God's grace. He, do, he knows he should just be a slave. And so, in verse 21, the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's where we are, guys. And then in verse 22, but the father said to servants, quick, no delay, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, he's alive again, he was lost and he is found. So they began to what? Celebrate. And that's our picture of God, my friends. Now, I didn't want to shake some of you Church of Christ people up too much because the next verse says they had music and dancing. Crazy party, guys, okay? 
I mean, they are celebrating. This is our picture of God. And so my challenge for us is that we need to continue this tradition of God's people through the centuries. So let me just give you some reasons why we need to get better at this. Number one, we have a lot to celebrate and teach. We have a lot to celebrate. I mean, you think of what we should, we're celebrating this morning. The God we know, the Jesus we love, the Holy Spirit we house, the gospel we embrace, the good news we share. We ought to be truly happy people. And we ought to be the people who can throw good parties. Now, if I, if I may tip my hat this morning in a way I would prefer not to, let me say this. You Auburn fans know how to celebrate. I mean, I mean, there was an amazing celebration last night. I mean, I did like the girl getting caught in the bushes. But other than that, I mean, it was just an amazing celebration. And, and you know, that, that's pretty cool. And, and thank God that we have events that we celebrate at. But my friends, God wants us to have those kind of events for things that are big deals. Our salvation, our deliverance, the power of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven. I mean, that's what this is about. we got a lot to celebrate. And guys, when we come in here, please, please pray about it. Come in here with a, a spirit to celebrate. This is not a somber, sad place for you to, you know, to go to the game yesterday and we all go crazy and come here and we all are subdued. Let's celebrate. Because in the middle of this were teachable moments. This, this is what's so great about this. These were the moments they passed on their faith. When your child's sitting there at the Passover meal and you're explaining everything and every cup and every lo- I mean, you're teaching them the story of God. And guys, when we sit down for, for communion and the love feast, one of the best ways we've ever taken communion in this church, and we need to do this again, is in our life groups. When you go to home and you throw a meal and you celebrate in the middle of that like they did in the first century, and, and, and you want your children to be a part of that and, and to hear that, we ought to celebrate. One of the coolest traditions I've heard among many people, many churches, is when someone's baptized, they throw a party. I mean, guys, we ought to do that. That's something to celebrate. You guys, what we're teaching is that's a big deal. You know, when we went to church where, where you know, someone's baptized, we sat like lumps on the pews, you know. What we're teaching is we're not too excited. I love that you guys clap. I love that you give an ovation. I love that you go, wow, man, God has done something. Let's celebrate it. We do that. Number two, parties pull us out of routine and ruts. They pull us out of routine and ruts. They're not everyday events. And they're not supposed to be. God's people had a rhythm through the year of different times they celebrated. Because you want at some point to be able to put a special emphasis on something God has done. For instance, I've heard people say, uh, we should not celebrate Easter because every Sunday should be Easter. Well, in some sense, that's true. But the truth is, when everything's the same, hmm, everything's the same. And, And so to have a day we say, whoa, let's back up and let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Let's back up in a few weeks and let's celebrate the incarnation. Guys, those are big deal events. 
We've got to learn to have that kind of routine because, guys, some of us, we're just, we're just going through the motions. We, just, we live every week, every day, every Sunday, just the same, just trying to make it. And what many of us need is we need some parties to interrupt our routines so that we remember big things in big ways. And number three, this will change our image. And maybe we need this. That's, that's, that's really been the point of this series to me. It's we, we've given over words like happy and party to the world. And we need to reclaim them as rightfully ours. If you took a poll in Montgomery, Alabama today, and you said, who throws the best parties? You think anybody would say the Church of Christ down on the end of the block? Because we could change our image. Wouldn't it be fantastic if the church was the place that celebrates more than the world, not less? Right now, we're letting them outdo us. God's people didn't do that. You see, guys, when we begin to celebrate, man, we're, we're going to have a much better chance of passing on our faith to our children and grandchildren. Many, many of our young people are, are rejecting Christianity because what they believe in the back of their mind and what they've observed is Christianity just in, inhibits you. It just, it just it holds you back. And so, you know, I know I'm not saved and I may not get to heaven, but I don't want to live this way right now. And what I'm saying to you guys is when we begin to do this, we begin to, to change our image. I'll never forget years ago, a good friend of mine helped me out a lot. I was, I was struggling being the right kind of spiritual daddy I should be. And I was really pretty guilt-ridden that I had not established a consistent devotional time in our family life. We did it here and there. But, you know, they weren't always that good, and dad would try to press it, and kids weren't too happy, so they'd rebel. And so then dad would get mad, and by the end, it would been a whole lot better if we hadn't even started it, okay? And, and so I, I'm saying to my friend, you know, I just, I just can't get this going the way I want to. He said, buddy, that's a good thing. Keep trying. And let me say, the older my kids got, we got there. But he, here's what he said to me. He said, buddy, what your kids really need you to do is just be joyful at home. What they need to see is your happiness. What they need to see is serving the Lord is the best way to live. That's what they're going to pick up on. Just go be happy. And my friends, that was some great advice. That's some great advice to some young couples here. You know, we as a church, we need to, we need to do this. In the year 2018, we have scheduled on our calendar two times where our goal is to throw a celebration party for the Halcyon neighborhoods. And we're going to need lots of you to help because we don't want to be second class and small. We want to be big. And we're going to need some volunteers. Why don't you start dreaming about that? What could we do? What could you do in your neighborhood? You know, maybe that, that's the easiest thing many of us could do. To, to, and some of you already done this with the neighboring series. Throw a block party. But we could change our image. And many people that have been turned off to God and to church might see we're not who they thought we were and be drawn to that. And, and number four, just personally, when you have good parties, it increases your happiness. It reminds us of who we are. It connects us to people. It gets us to look forward. So let's um, change our image and let's um, 
let's create some happiness in our life. I don't know about you, but my routine needs to be interrupted. I actually sort of love my routine, and so I'm not the best at this, but I need to learn to go, you know what, every once in a while we just need to lay back, shut some things down, and throw a party. So let me give you, I want to give you some ideas. Uh, There's just some ideas that, that I'd like to share. Um, you can see on, on the board, here's sort of the rhythm of American life, okay? The two of these are obviously very Christian, Easter and Christmas. And, and guys, for too long, we've allowed our children to love the Easter bunny, but we hadn't talked about the resurrected Christ. And for too many of us, Santa Claus has been a cool thing, but the birth of Jesus has been off limits. Listen to me. We need to stop abandoning opportunities to teach and to celebrate. And those two are obvious. And guys, if, if we walk through the year, and you, you could be more creative than I am. What could we celebrate on New Year's? We could celebrate new beginnings. We could celebrate the promise of God that His mercies are new every day. And we can make this a point to, to, you know, just stop and open our Bibles and talk about the second and third and fourth chances God has given us in our life and tell our children and grandchildren about that. You know, Dad was doing this, Mom was doing this, and God gave me this chance. Look, obviously, Easter, guys, I love being a part of a church. Well, we make a big deal of Easter. Memorial Day. You know, that's a day where as a country, we remember those who've given their life for our, our country. We need to do that. But as Christians, can you see the easy jump to celebrating that Jesus has given his life for us? And, and, and remembering that like they did in the Old Testament and then throwing a celebration? Independence Day. And we've done this to church quite often. My goodness, that's the day that we just need to big time party about the freedom we have in Christ. You know what? We're not inhibited. Everything God tells us not to do is good for us because he'll mess us up. We've been freed to live a life that's whole and spacious and full of love. How about Labor Day? You know, guys, work is a good thing. The Bible says that God's grace not only gave you the gift of salvation. We don't talk about this so much. He also gave you the gift of of work to do, ministry, not to save your soul, but to express your love for God. Can we take a, a Labor Day and just celebrate? And guys, nothing could be easier than Thanksgiving. But let me, let, me, let me challenge some of you. Somebody has got to change the room. Somebody's got to have the courage in that incredible Thanksgiving feast that most all of us enjoyed something we've learned to do. But I have to, I have to sort of nudge myself every year. Okay, guys, man, we're enjoying this great meal. Let's stop just for a moment and go around the table and everybody tell us something that God has done for you that you're thankful for. It just takes someone being a leader, someone having the courage to say, guys, we're going to turn this thing into more than us just pigging out. We're going to turn this into something that celebrates God. It'll have so much more meaning. And then Christmas, guys, is we're about to enter the Christmas season. For many people, this is the most stressful time of the year, and we need to reclaim it. We need to, we need to do away with some of the busyness. We need to, to stop spending more money than we have on gifts to each other. 
and began to celebrate this crazy, amazing fact that God came after us in the form of a baby. Because there's so many ways you can do this. You, you, you might note this. Uh, look up this. Look up. Look up this website. Thirty ways to keep Christ in Christmas. Thirty ways to keep Christ in Christmas. It's just practical ideas. And, and, and do that right now before you get too busy. Go ahead and set the tone of when are we celebrating what God has done? Because here's a problem, guys, among us. We have a hard time with spiritual conversations. I know we're all embarrassed by that, but I'm not trying to say this, but we do. And, and, and for many parents, if you're not careful, the first spiritual conversation you're going to have with your child is the moment they came to church and there was a baptism and they get in the car and say, Daddy, I'd like to get baptized too. And then you go, oh, what do I say? Al Milligren, would you meet my child? Don't let that be the first time. Use the rhythm of our national life to talk about God. Now, like this 30 ways to keep Christ, it's everything from an advent calendar, I know some of you are keeping, to having a nativity scene where you take the children, explain it. Here's a great one. To watching the nativity story, that's a wonderful movie. So one, you know, I used to think was silly, but you know what, maybe that's my problem, is cooking a birthday cake for Jesus. Now, we may think it's silly, but my grandkids would think that's the coolest thing, as long as it's not cherry Pop-Tart. My grandkids would think it's awesome. And so, hey, man, let's take Christmas. Guys, as a church, we, we're going to begin a great celebration next week of Christmas. We got a, Our series is called Hope is on the Way. Great time to invite people to church. And December the 17th, we're going to have this wonderful nativity scene and coffee and hot chocolate and cookies and great time of celebration in here. Remember that. Let's make Christmas special. And then one more point. This will prepare us for heaven. Guys, some of us say, ah, man, I'm not too excited about heaven because I don't really want to walk streets of gold and be in a 24-hour-a-day praise service. My friends, that is an incomplete view of heaven. The most consistent view of heaven in the Bible is a wonderful feast. And I was so touched this week watching the news when that pastor from that First Baptist Church in Kingwood, Texas, was interviewed about the death of his 14-year-old daughter. Unimaginable. But he had the faith to say this. Where my daughter is, she'll never have to hurt or have pain. She is frolicking with the angels at this point. I love that. She's frolicking with the angels. And my friends, one day we're going to be frolicking with the angels, and we'd do a whole lot better to start practicing now. So let's close this series with the old fairy tale line, they all lived happily ever after. And what I want to say to you this morning is that's got to be more than the ending of a fairy tale, because it is. It is the promise of God to his people. And here's what I want you to know. It starts now. I'm not saying to you every moment in your life is frolicking happiness. It's not. I mean, this, this side of heaven, we get tastes and glimpses of it, but it's up and down. We know that. But one day it won't be up and down. One day we'll be in heaven, and we will be partying with God forever. 
and we will live happily ever after. So let me make one more point. If you'll read the Bible closely, the easiest way to offend God is to turn down his invitation to the party. God doesn't like that. God was mad at that older brother with his legalistic, judgmental finger going, you shouldn't be partying with this sinner like this. God was mad when Jesus sent out the invitation for the kingdom and people didn't come. You want to offend God, then be a stick in the mud and turn down his party. Some of you today, the invitation is for everybody. Some of you, you've not become a Christian today because your view of Christianity was it's just something you got to make it through to get to heaven. You, you didn't see happiness associated, and we apologize about that, and we, we can change that. And some of us have become Christians, but no one would describe us as, as happy. No one would say, man, those people have the best parties and the best time. And today, you know you're struggling with this, and you need the prayers of the church to say, you know what, God, only you and your Holy Spirit can fill me with a happiness and a joy that, quite frankly, does not make sense on this earth. So if we can help you today, we can pray for you. We're going to sing two great songs of celebration. Everybody celebrate. And those of you who need to come for some prayers, come on down, and we'll pray for you in just a moment. Let's stand together and celebrate.